Happy to be with you again. Let's turn in our Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 26, please. Second Chronicles 26. Now, the last time I was here, I put this little sound device on my belt, and, and I did something, and it went somewhere. I don't know where, but uh, I picked it up, and we kept on going. But I'm just going to keep my, my jacket unbuttoned, and maybe that won't push it out. Not only that, but it feels more comfortable to me. This is the oldest suit or jacket that I've ever owned. Someone bought this for me as a little gift when we were vacationing down in uh, Southern California. And uh, I'm going to wear it till it, it stands up in the, in the closet by itself now. I don't even have to put it on a coat hanger. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, it's good to wear in a rainy day because uh, it just dries up and you never know the difference. One of our brethren in our assembly said, Bob, always let us know, please, when you're going to retire so we'll know the difference. <laughs> you know? Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. And it dawned upon me riding in the car. I tell the last time I was here, I spoke from Second Chronicles up at the front about chapter 7 or 8 or 9 somewhere. But uh, I've read about 19 chapters since then, and this is the next preach that's coming up. And I always try to pray. I, I, don't, I really don't like... People that call me in advance, I don't appreciate the, the being called and said, listen now, we've got Brother Soils over, he's got all kinds of problems, and this sister over here, she's got all kinds, so please bring something just for them. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I have to take what God gives me to preach and hope and pray that somewhere the message will fall on a needy heart. And I'm going to share with you something today that really spoke to me recently, and I hope it'll, it'll be a blessing to you. Second Chronicles chapter 26, the first five verses. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Now think about that, a 16-year-old boy. And made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign. And he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Amen. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. Now, another translation said he taught uh, uh, these visions to him. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now look ahead to verse 16. Now comes the bad news. Verse 16, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord who were valiant men. Now, he took a little army with him just in case uh, there's going to be problems. The next verse says, 18, they, And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, it appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. 
Verse 19, Then Uzziah was angry and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, the leprosy even rose up on his, in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Verse 20, And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from there. Yea, he himself hastened also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. Now verse 21 is the last verse. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death, and dwelt in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Some of us, maybe no one in this room, but in the great body of Christ, it seems like some of us never seem to succeed very long in the things of God. In fact, there's a certain type of personality, they say, that's always great starters. Boy, they jump in something with all four feet, I was going to say, and really get started, and you think they're going to burn the world up, but in due time, things dwindle a little bit, and they don't seem to remain successful, especially in the Lord's work. Some succeed, some don't. What makes the difference? Well, in the Bible, there's a principle. I have read that principle to you this morning. Not the great details, but I'm going to give you a few before 12.30. In the Bible, there's a principle that regulates this. Now, we're talking about the work of the Lord, not the work down where you work in the factory or in the office or school or somewhere else. We're talking about doing God's work. There's a principle for success, and there are principles for failure. Now, I think every one of us, especially all of us in this room that know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, we would like to be successful for the Lord. But sometimes we don't know the principle. So let's look at it and see what it has to teach us. I want to share with you how I'm challenged by it. And uh, some of you may identify with me as we go along down the text here. And then I want to end up by sharing it with you how you might be challenged by it. And what will happen if we all are challenged by it in this local church right here. Are you ready? You got your seatbelts on? <laughs> all right. Let's look at the principle, which consists of three components, and how I was challenged by it. Now, you can lean back and sleep for a little bit if you want to, if you don't, don't care how I was challenged by it. But it was a blessing and a challenge to me. In fact, I just haven't been able to get these portions of Scripture out of my mind. So this is why I'm sharing it with you. I believe God would have me share it with you. Component number one, let's say, is in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Now, I'm a, I'm a King James man. I like the good old Schofield King James Bible. <clears throat> and uh, as they often say, if Schofield's King James Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it ought to be good enough for us. But there are other translations, and every time I read the Bible through devotionally, early in the morning, I take a different translation. And by the time I go all the way through one, a new one has come out. And you'd be surprised at how you can learn a little bit while you're at the same time sticking to the Word of God. But in this particular situation, I'm, and I'm now using the New Living Translation until I get through it. I neither recommend it nor not recommend it. That's just what I'm using today. Component number one, verse five, in the New Living Translation says, Zechariah, 
instructed Uzziah in the fear of the Lord. Anybody have a new translation here, that translation with you today? Maybe you can see it in the text there. Zechariah, it's in parentheses in my notes, his name is not mentioned there, but that's who it refers to. He instructed Uzziah in the fear of the Lord. Now, if you look up the word, the fear of the Lord there, I think you'll find that it means the ways of the Lord, the ways of God. He instructed him in the ways of God. And so this tells us that we should learn the ways of the Lord, especially what God wants us to do. When I was first saved and giving testimonies and doing a little preaching here and there and on the street corner and in the jails and out at the prisons and home Bible studies, and we called them cottage prayer meetings in those days because if someone was sick, one of the elders in our assembly was a fuller brush man, not because he needed to be, he was retired. But he used that to get into homes and witness for the Lord everywhere he went. And if he found an open home, he said, how would you like us to come over and pray for your family? And so about a half a dozen of us would go over. One of the younger brothers would lead singing, and I would preach. Next week, I would lead singing, he would preach, and so on. And, and we got into the homes and witnessed the gospel that way. Well, anyhow, let's go on. I, people would come up to me and say, you know, Brother Bob, this isn't meant to be a, an insult, but you're a diamond in the rough. And I said, well, what, I don't know what a diamond in the rough is. What does that mean? They said, well, you have a long way to go before you're going to amount to anything, but don't give up. <laughs> well, I'm still trying to amount to something. I'm not giving up yet, not quite, but we're still trying. But later on, that began to make sense. People would come up and, and give me certain words of encouragement that I didn't understand. Christian lingo to a new believer is a very strange thing. Words that you and I use in the church are not really the words that you people use in thinking sometimes. But I praise God for the time in my life in which it was settled in this heart what I believe God had called me to be and do for a life vocation. And I've never regretted it a day, never regretted it an hour. I feel that I know, I believe that I know, I have evidence that I know what God wants me to do. Success or failure doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm going to keep doing it. Whether I win or lose, it doesn't matter. I feel that I'm following the Lord. And here we see that Zechariah instructed Uzziah to learn the will of God, learn the ways of God, especially what he wants you to do. And this tells us, of course, as a good example, we should too. You know, there are different dispensations. And a lot, of, a lot that's written in the Old Testament is for the nation of Israel only. You all know that. And in the New Testament, we have verses that actually contradict some of those old verses. Well, how do you work that out? Well, what was for the Jew exclusively was for the Jew exclusively, not for the New Testament church. And there are other things for the church that's not for the Jew. So it depends on where you read and who it's applicable to. And so uh, we need to, and we find this principle in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament. We need to learn God's will day by day. Now, in, the, in our dispensation, this day and age in which you and I live, uh, the way of God is the Word of God. And the Word of God is the will of God. So God's will for us is to obey the Word of God. We don't have to go through what Uzziah went through might be worse, but we don't have to go through what he went through because we have the written word in front of us if we would just read it. Our problem is we don't read it, so we never know what God's will is, and we're like a blind man kind of stumbling along. 
In every service of this church, San Ramon Valley Bible Church, it is my hope, and I, I believe I could say I, my guarantee almost, that you will always be taught the ways of God and the will of God according to the Scripture. Amen? Amen. We received a letter the other day in our assembly from the fire department. And they said, we want to come out and teach your church how to uh, help a person who's having a heart attack or having some type of physical problem. It won't cost you anything, but just have your people there and we'll show you what to do in the case that someone has an epilepsy seizure or a heart attack or, or a stroke or something like that. And I said to myself, now hold on a minute, that's not found in the Word. And yet there is a very valuable privilege to learn that. And we hope to have a night one night. Now, in spite of what they're going to say, I'm going to introduce them, and they're going to get a little preach whether they like it or not, you know. But um, we should always use this facility, as our brother said. Here we come to learn and to study the Word and memorize the Word and practice the Word and encourage each other in the Word. This is what our job is. Psalm 119.24 says, Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. I like that. Talking to a lady on the phone the other day, she says, I can't find a counselor anywhere. I said, do you have a Bible? She says, yes. I said, well, turn over to Psalm 119.24. So she turned over to Psalm 119.24. And I said, will you read that verse to me? Oh, the Word. I never thought about that. Well, do you read the Word? No, I'm not much of a reader. Well, start reading the Word and think of all the money you would save going to a, a counselor when the Word of God is right there in front of you. No, I'm, I'm not saying that to embarrass her or to sound like some know-it-all, but the Word of God is really our counselor. But let's stop there. He says, uh, learn the ways. He learned the ways in the Word of God. Now, component number two is still in that same verse, verse 5 of Second Chronicles 26. It says, as long as... Now, this is the New Living Translation again. As long as the king sought the Lord, God gave him what? Success. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Can we apply that to us today? It doesn't mean that you'll never get sick. I've been in bed with a cold all week. It doesn't mean that we don't have the normal um, uh, things of life happen to us, but as far as serving God and obeying God, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Is that in the Bible in the New Testament? Well, James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. When one seeks the will of God, it will be revealed to him, according to that verse, and he will be successful in his endeavor if he follows precisely. And let's stop there and say, no more, no less, no different. Some of us, we, we all different, we, we interpret the word differently sometimes, and we think we're doing the will of God when we jump the, we jump the traces way back somewhere. Stick strictly to what you see written on the surface of the Bible. Just don't worry about the deed. Make sure you understand the truth of what's written. Put it into practice, and in time, God will prove it to be correctly. If he follows it precisely, constantly. And then there's another word, wholeheartedly. We'll talk about that down the road. Another verse, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that, that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall... 
fall apart? No, prosper. By the way, Christians, notice the three downward steps. Walking, standing, and sitting. That indicates that the Christian was walking, let's say, down the sidewalk. Someone's coming the other way, using all kinds of filthy language and things that Christians shouldn't listen to. And so instead of just walking on by and getting out of earshot as quickly as possible, he stopped and said, hey, I haven't heard that for a while. Give me some more of that. Now he stands and he listens. Downward step number two. He ends up in the man's home sitting and talking. Walking, standing, talking. In other words, break it off up at the front up here and you won't have to worry about the rest of it. Sometimes I think some Christians, and I, maybe I've been one of them, I'm not sure, but we try to see how far we can go into sin before God has to swat us, has to thump us on the head, you know. And then we say, oh, Lord, I didn't. Yes, you knew. You knew way back, long time ago. You knew you were going wrong. You wanted to go wrong. I wanted to go. I want to do what I want to do. I want what I want when I want it. I want a lot of it just in case I want some more later on. I'll have it right there waiting for me. That's the way we look at things. Well, component number two, as long as the king sought the Lord, he gave him success. We have a number of other verses here, but I want to mention just one more. In Second Chronicles 31, and I'm coming up on that chapter pretty shortly. You might hear that later on. Second Chronicles 31, we read that Hezekiah... Doing the work of the Lord, did it wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. And he prospered in the work of the Lord. Now, we're not talking about secular business, but it's also true of any business we're in. In the work of the Lord, whatever we do, we should do it with all of our hearts, wholeheartedly. means no holding back. There's no room for laziness. There's no room for lack of concern. There's no room for quitters. In fact, God says that he that puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. That's a pretty strong announcement. Now, I don't know much about, and I never want to learn much about, the interworkings of, of uh, your church, this assembly, this church. But I would suspect by now, what, 25 years or so you've been, uh, been holding forth? You've probably, if anyone here in this room could name a problem and you've had it, <laughs> one, or, one or another. And if you don't have it, come over to our assembly and we probably have it, you know. There is no such thing as a perfect church with no problems. And sometimes the weight of a church can get really heavy. And the ones that you counted on, the one that says, boy, I'll stick with you through thick and thin. Well, when thin got thick, he thinned out. He couldn't see him anymore. He took off. Some people won't stick with you during hard times. They say, well, that's not the work of the Lord. You've got problems. Well, that's what makes a church grow is problems. By the way, you ought to pray for Brother Adel and other men who are elders in this assembly, it is not all day, every day, a lot of fun. If you could follow me around in the last 30 days, you would say, Bob, I don't know how a human being does it. And I don't either. But thank God we've got the answers from the Scriptures, so we go and just, well, here's what the Word says. If you just practice the Word, it'll work itself out. I could stand here for the next hour and tell you, crisis that I believe Satan had his fingers in, to create situations unknown by everyone involved, and then he brings it all together at the most blasting time to do the most damage. But the great secret is to confront the devil with the Word of God. Don't fight or flight, but stand on the promises of the Word and obey it. Now I'm off my sermon, so let's get back. One of my constant prayers in my life is, 
I believe that I know the will of God for me in my, in my vocation. I know that. You, nobody's going to change my mind, regardless of what you think of the sermon. <laughs> but I, I pray that I will always follow the ways of God wholeheartedly. Amen. Zeal is important when it's according to knowledge. Now, zeal without knowledge is dangerous. The Lord Jesus Christ, the zeal of thine house, hath eaten me up. He was a zealous man. By the way, zeal is not jumping up and down over benches and running around the room and all of that. Zeal is being faithful in what God has called you to do. And when the door is open, you're in line waiting for, waiting for them to come and open the door. That's zeal. That's real zeal. Commitment. Amen. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Now, component number three. You've heard the good part. Now we're going to give you a little scary part. You ready? If you don't have your seatbelts on, hook them on. Brace yourself up for a moment because this one is going to be a challenge to you. In Second Chronicles 26, verse 16, we read, now this is the other translation, but when he, Uzziah, had become powerful, he also became proud. With power comes pride, usually, which led to his downfall. That's what the text says. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering into the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. Now, we all know that that was a job exclusively for the priest. Even the king was not allowed to do that in that place. Also, Uzziah's history is found over in Second Kings chapter 15, and there it says in the New Living Translation, uh, another account of Uzziah's life says that he did not destroy the pagan shrines which the people offered sacrifices, on which the people offered sacrifices and burned incense. Now, let's think about that for a moment. How, how could a man be so zealous to want to go in and replace the priest with himself? He wanted to do what he was not entitled to do, while at the same time not putting down the false worshipers. You ever think about that? Now, there's a, there's a contradiction, isn't it? How could, how could one be godly on Sunday and live all week in sin? Well, come see us. We all know about that. But this is what we're talking about here. It seems that what happened in my judgment, and I, after, I, after I prayed about it and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, and then I looked it up to see what the people that's supposed to know have to say. But in my judgment, here's what I think happened. Success had blinded Uzziah's understanding of God's ways. And this happens to a lot of people. I know a lot of Christian people. In fact, some of you sitting in this very room know the people that I know. And your curiosity is killing me for, you, for me to tell you who it is, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so there. But most of us know people who, as long as they went to work every day, earned their money, came home and gave it to the wife, she bought the groceries, made the house payment, managed things, and we stayed busy for the Lord in our normal way in church, life went well. But sometimes Satan will open a door for us to go to a level that God never intended us to go. Up. Or down. i got a verse for that in just a moment. And we finally get to a place where we think we don't need God anymore. I've got eight or nine million dollars in the bank. I don't need God for anything. That's natural. We're going to come to that in just a moment. He was so blinded that he's lost his discernment 
between the religions of the world worshiping false gods over here and the ways of God. He just threw himself off track. He no longer saw the difference between religion and God's ways. And so what did he do? Being the king, he won the votes of everybody, so he lowered his standard to fit everybody. And you know, a lot of churches do that today. Hey, we've we got to fill this building up. Let's lower our standard. Let's, let's move the chairs over on Saturday night and have an all-night dance party right here. I already got the, already got the instruments. Boy, that'll do it. We'll fill up then. And we think of all kinds of human little techniques by which we can manipulate. Why? Because we're away from God. The Holy Spirit does all that. We don't have to do any of that. And usually when you sit around a circle, and for 50 years I've sit in the circle of elders, either as a visiting brother or, or otherwise, and listen to fellows who did not know what to do scheme. But they forgot all about prayer. <laughs> forgot all about the work of the Holy Spirit. And if we got right with God and prayed for God to move and got ourselves right with God, then it wouldn't be long before there would always be revival. Well, he, lo- he lowered his standards to fit everyone. Now, take your Bible, turn over to Proverbs. I want you to see this one with your eyes in your Bible. Proverbs chapter 30, almost the last chapter, and some of you already know where I'm going. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7 through 9. This is one of the greatest truths that I have ever learned from the Bible. You go, Bob, you don't learn too, you don't know too much if that's one of the greatest truths. Well, now hold on. Verse 7 Two things have I required of thee. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me vanity and lies. Well, we all know about that. Now listen to this one. We have completely taken it out of our California lifestyle. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, some of us won't pray that. We say, Lord, I don't want any poverty, but give me all the riches you can possibly heap on me. Well, now, wait a minute. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. That is appropriate for me. Lest, verse 9, lest I be full... And when we are full, that is, if we had tons of money, the no end, uh, we could just live like, like a king the rest of our lives. We could go anywhere we want to go, do it, and help people. We can think of all kinds of things we do with our money. It doesn't usually work out that way because the love of money is a sickness. And it's never cured. The more we make, the more we want. The more we make, the more we want. There's no end to it. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? This is the standard effect of too much wealth. And I can name you hundreds of people that I know personally that I have seen go through this very thing. I've often thought, boy, I'd like to go through it just one time. No, I hope and pray that nothing ever changes. Lord, just give me what I need, and that's all. And then he says, or lest I be poor and steal. Usually a person that doesn't have as much as he needs to live on, what does he do? He starts stealing. Ask Renona Ryder. She had all kinds of money. She was still stealing, you know. And so the poor person steals and then takes the name of my God in vain. They curse God for not meeting their needs. The great secret to a happy life, one of the great secrets in my judgment, is leave all your wealth to God and say, Lord, just give me what I need. Just enough to pay the bills. 
Bill McDonald in one of his books says, Labor hard, consume little, give much. Most of us labor little, consume as much as we can, and say, I'm sorry, I don't have any left for the Lord. We all know the story of the little boy going to Sunday school, so his mother gave him two nickels, one's for the church offering and the other's for you. And on the way to church, he dropped one of them in the thing in the sidewalk. He said, sorry about that, God, and he kept on going, you know. And that's the way we do, God. But let's go on. From time to time, and especially when things are going, as we desire, not as we don't desire, but as we desire, most of us are tempted to take God's modus operandi for us, God's will for us, less serious. We take the will of God less serious when everything is going our way. And other interests, more serious. It's amazing. If we have the money, how we feel we have got to go to this auto show. We've got to go here. We've got to take this vacation. We've got to have a, a cabin in Cabo San Lucas. We've got to have a snow place over in Colorado. We always need a better home. Most of us live today in homes a thousand times better than the way we grew up. How many agree with that? Raise your hand. Every one of us are living today better than we've ever lived before, probably, or at least most of us. And we're still wanting bigger and better rooms. Our third son got married recently, and they built a house out here while they were courting. And uh, they took their honeymoon in their new house. They closed the escrow the very week that I married them on July the 4th this year. Those rooms out there, <laughs> out in Manteca, you can buy a house for one-fourth of what houses the same house would sell for down where we live. But actually, they did well with the same amount of money. Each room is bigger than our whole house, you know. But we already raised three kids. Why do we need a, a, a bigger house? Unless we want to do some roller skating up and down the halls or something, you know, you know. Well, let's get back to the point. I don't want to waste your time on that. We always give the things that we want higher priority and give God the things that He wants lower priority. And so what happens is God has says, well, we've got to correct that. In Uzziah's case, we read verse 19 that God stopped him, stopped him dead in his tracks by plaguing him with a leprosy for the rest of his life. Uzziah's lifestyle was reduced to ashes. Now, here's the point we want to remember. This is what almost threw me out of my desk chair when I was reading it. God not only stopped the wrong, but he stopped the right. Why? Because he was not a qualified vessel. We seem to think today that we can drink, smoke, and chew and go with those that do and live in sin all week long. Sunday morning, get up and put on our blue shirt, blue, blue suit, white shirt, and a red tie, soft red tie. Come to church looking real religious and go through all the motions of religion. Even be involved in the church. I don't think anybody has this problem in this church. And if they do, I don't know it. My dad, for years, he didn't know the Lord until he was 65 years of age. And then he didn't. The reason he came to Christ, he saw real Christianity in a five-year-old girl. But we live next door to Joe Melvin's Texaco gas station. And uh, everybody traveled, traded at Melvin's gas station, Texaco. My dad went in on the wrong day one day and, and uh, over the little partition 
he heard some scheming going on that was dishonest, illegal, and all of that. So that stuck in his mind. Now, Joe Melvin was a head deacon at Ashborough Street Baptist Church. And that's where we went. Dad, being a heavy drinker, not an alcoholic, but he, 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 I think he could float a battleship on what he did drink all his life, but I'm not quite sure. A Saturday night at the local bar, there would be Joe and all the rest of them, soddy drunk, doing and saying the things that decent people don't do. But on Sunday morning, there he was, you know, Deacon Melvin. I can gossip about this because they're all dead now. <laughs> and Dad said, and most of us have had parents that we've heard this say, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. He did not see a changed life. Until years and years later, when my dad was 65 years of age, his granddaughter, my brother's little girl, Susie, he drove down to Greenville, South Carolina, to show Susie the Christmas tree lights in the town. And my dad always drove a real heavy car because he had stomach tr- uh, ulcers in his stomach from drinking, and so he liked comfort. And little Susie could stand up in the front seat. And they were looking at all the lights with no warning of anything whatsoever, and Susie just burst out in tears and ran over and threw her arms around Dad and while he was driving, Dad didn't know what was happening. And she was crying. And he said, well, what's the matter, sweetie pie? She said, Grandpa, she said, please open your heart and receive Christ as your Savior. I don't want to see you die and go to hell. It gets to me a little bit. He took his hat off and put it on this big Cadillac dashboard. In those days, it had about two feet of dashboard. And he said, God, here's, she don't want my money. She doesn't want me to join the church. She, she just concerned for my soul. Amen. And he says, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm trusting Him for my salvation right now. We need to see Christianity. We need to see Christianity in a stress. I believe the worst thing that we can do today is be carnal Christians doing the work of the Lord. And a lot of churches are filled with carnal people in high places. You can bet your front teeth that it won't be long before the leprosy principle will come true. Unless we get right with God and confess and forsake our sins. Now, after meditating upon this third factor for a while, I personally, I was arrested by this. So I'm going to make you suffer a little bit. I'm tired of suffering, (laughs) you know. I had to pray, Lord, help me to always do what I know you want me to do and not forsake the truth. And help me to do it with real excitement, not just half-heartedly. Half-heartedly. The time is almost up. I have two or three minutes to go. When we combine these three little steps, these three little components, what do we learn? Well, the principle that I'm sharing with you in toto is this. Find out what God wants you to do. And there's ways of doing that. See the elders. They'll help you. And then do it. And then number three, don't quit doing it. Don't change. Don't lower your zeal for it. Stay on top of it. Do it. To quit or change. Now, let me. This is a, a, not only a New Testament principle, but I can give you four Old Testament. Te- this is not only an Old Testament principle, but I can give you four New Testament verses that support this principle for us today. To quit 
or change or cease or modify what God wants you to do will invoke his wrath and his judgment. Not because it's not judgment, really, it's his love. All the judgment was spent at Calvary. God never acts in judgment, but he acts in chastisement. He brings us around to where he wants us to be. To quit or change invokes God to do what has to be done, to restore you to zealously, uh, you to zealously doing only what he wants you to do. In the last 30 days, I saw this very principle. This is probably why this struck, to me, struck me so hard. I saw a situation in which the cause, after it was traced back to where it started, the standard was lowered. Not immoral, anything like that. There's nothing wrong with it. But it wasn't the will of God. But the person took matters into his own hands. And God had to just drop a bomb right down in a circle of people. I feel so sorry for that whole family tree. I don't know what to do. Well, finally, I was approached as to what the answer should be. And I could see there, well, you kick my dog, I'm going to kick your cat. That's one way, you know. We can get mad. You're talking about my daughter. You're talking about my son or my wife or my husband. And I'm not going to stand. That's the way the world does it. So sitting through these folks, and I hope it was the right answer. It turned out okay, but I hope it's the right answer. I said, listen, here's a good opportunity for us to prove our Christianity to each other. Let's try to solve this problem the way the Lord would want us to do it. No fussing, no fighting, giving God the honor, thanking Him for the privilege of having it. Now let's apply the principles of the Scripture. And I gave them what I thought was the principles of the Scripture. A week later, I got a phone call, and the, the wife of one of the families in the, this family tree was rejoicing up and down. She says, Bob, why we didn't see that, I don't know. It worked. All is well. All has been worked out, and everybody forgave everybody. The fact of the matter is, the devil was behind it, as I mentioned earlier. He created a situation that none of, nobody knew what the other was, was doing, and he created a situation in which it all led to a crisis. Let's not forget Satan is still at work. He's not in charge. He can only do what God allows him to do, but it's a test of our Christianity. Now, <clears throat> time is up. With what we have just studied, find out what God wants you to do. Do it and never quit or change your lawyer zeal. When I read that, I was arrested. First time I read it, I had a little cold when I was lying in bed. Not this last cold, but I was just feeling bad. Didn't have much zeal that day. I had a zeal to go to sleep. When one carefully considers the meaning of certain verses in the Bible, one of the high priorities... Now, you're going to wonder why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say this because I think the Lord's leading me to say it. One of the highest, clear priorities of every Christian is to support the local church to which he is committed. Don't tell me that you can be a spiritual Christian and never go to church because you're disobeying a direct order of God. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, The believers' first generation of the church gave themselves wholly to the doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, which is another name for the Lord's Supper, incidentally. In Acts 20 and 7, it says, On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Did you know that the Lord's Supper is the only meeting in the entire New Testament to which a time and a frequency is given? 
doesn't say anything about the preaching hour. We can get Bob Bruton and not have any problem at all. We can get rid of even the gospel meeting. You'd be disobeying God if you did. But every other meeting of the church is secondary to the Lord's Supper. And if you understood that, every Sunday morning when you break bread in this... Is it Sunday morning? You would be here. If God gives it top priority in the New Testament days, how much more should we give that top priority today? And then in Hebrews 10.25 it says, Believers of our day are not to forsake the assembling of, our, of themselves together. Churches say, we just can't get anybody out on Wednesday night, so we close up Wednesday night. Now it's just Sunday morning and Sunday night. And everybody's going to stay home and watch Lucy or something similar to that on Sunday night. And we have small kids, and they have to go to bed early, and we've got to get up and go to work. And a lot of, You can think of all kinds of answers. Did you know that people in the last generation had the same problem? Jeannie and I had that problem. I'll tell you how I explained it to my kids. We have certain obligations in life we have to breathe in and out. We have to get rest at night so we'll feel good the next day. We have to eat, and we have to drink our milk, and eat our peas, and even our broccoli, whether the president likes it or not. And this is what we're going to do. And there's one other thing that we do. We go to church every time the door opens. And our kids, and this is a little lesson for all of you parents. I think it might work. I'm not quite sure. Not once did our three sons ever challenge us as long as mom and dad agreed. If I came out with some big ex-cathedra from the throne of God, some law... Mom's sitting over there saying, no, that's not the way it is. Then the kids will always favor the one that favors them, right? How many of you have learned that your children are always leading to the parent that they think they can get the most out of? Raise your hand. You know that? Sure you do. But if mom and I went down to the bedroom, closed the door, and got in the bedroom, and we talked quietly before we confronted the children with what we were going to do, usually after supper, after we've had a good dessert, now, boys, your mom and I have been thinking, and we've talked about a situation that we've got to correct, and here's what we're going to do. Never. I cannot, and I just asked my wife that again this week in preparation for this. Never were we ever contradicted. Okay, if that's what you want us to do, we'll do it. They had no secondary option. Mom and dad, you know. Back to the preach. Are you committed today to San Ramon Valley Bible Church? Should be. This is just one of the commitments that we know to be the will of God. I'll read four to you and then close in prayer. Number one, give more of your time to the church by attending all the scheduled service. Did you know that you're not in the full fellowship of a church unless you are in all the meetings? Oh, and I just want to come on Sunday morning. I get enough. It takes me a week to get over Bob Bruton. In fact, sometimes it takes months to get over my sermon. <laughs> I just can't go all the time. You honor God and go. Many a time I've wished I hadn't have gone to a meeting, but I've never left a meeting wish I hadn't have come. You're blessed by it. <coughs> I'm still, of course, in this cold. But. Number two, give more of your talents to the church, using his abilities in the fellowship of the church. I'm amazed how much we can find something else to do outside the church and give all of our talents and excitement. Over our way, there's a Harley-Davidson thing. Any Harley-Davidson people here? Maybe there's some of you here. I, I, like, I wouldn't mind riding a Harley-Davidson occasionally. But Harley-Davidson rides on Saturday and Sunday. Usually they're doctors and lawyers and businessmen. They go out and just breathe some fresh air. But what's the first thing that's sacrificed? You cannot be involved and support a church if you're not there. 
Oh, but we stop along the road and have a ten-minute devotion. Just enough to bless it to say we've had it. Now, that's good. I'd like to do that on any other day, but I don't have any other time for that because I'm too busy doing what I'm doing. I don't know who you are, and I say this in love, but you better think about readjusting your life and working in playthings in their right place, but give God's church number one. Now, if I'm not invited back, I'll know that Adel has been riding Harley Davidson. <laughs> Got to come back. Number three, give more of his treasure. Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. That's the four. How many of us really tithe our income? Or we put a dollar... I get a big kick out of this. I shouldn't tell you this. This is gossiping. In our little assembly, I can always tell who's saved and who's not and who's religious and who's not. A person that's barely saved, if he's saved at all, every time he puts something in the box, he'll come and tell me, well, I put my check in this month. Usually it's the smallest check in the whole thing. But he wants everybody to know it. The one who's really walking with God figures it's a pleasure to give God 10%. Oh, 10%? Man, I'd have to cut out my Harley Davidson. Well, good. I'm not against Harley Davidson. All our relatives ride them all the time. But let's keep it in its right place. You're here today. Be here all the time. Give God 10%. And the Bible says tithes and offerings. I wrote a little book on that not long ago. If you want a copy of what you should do with your money, let me know. Send me your address, and I'll be happy to send you my little book. I believe I can show you from the Scriptures that 10% of your income goes to San Ramon Valley Bible Church or whatever church you support. It's the same as the temple, and I can show you the Scriptures to hook the two together. And on top of that, offerings. Tithes and offerings. We had a missionary last Sunday night. And we don't have a budget for missionaries. We're not big enough for that. We can't guarantee any money every month because we're not quite that strong. But what we do, at the end of the service of a missionary, we put a little extra box. We don't take up a collection. We have a box on the wall. And everybody puts their checks in the box. But when we have a missionary, we put a lid on the box where we support the church. Everybody gives 10% to the church. But over here, there's the offerings. And whatever goes in that box goes to the missionary that's there that night. I'm not even going to tell you who was there and anything like that. But this brother, after it was all over, the people had given him $440 plus another $83 in cash for his meeting. Well... Jeannie was sick. My wife is not always able to stay up late at night. And, and so I said, well, would you like to come home and have some ice cream and coffee or something? I'd like to visit with you a little more. He told me, he says, Bob, did you know that the bigger the church is, the less the check is that comes in usually? He says, I always go into little bitty, little bitty meetings that you wonder, Lord, they can't even pay the light bill, much less support me because they're the ones that appreciate it. The high-flying boys, the boys that come in on jets, they go to the big meetings. Boys that drive in in a Volkswagen, they go to the little meetings. But he says, I consistently find that the smaller the meeting, the greater the... Because they don't have all the expense. Bob, you're going five minutes over. Last of all, give his testimony to others more zealously and be a good PR worker for this church. What's PR stand for? What? right. Public relations. How many of us have not only tried to sell Jesus Christ to someone, but mentioned, listen, I can tell you where you can hear the Word of God. You can get your question answered. 
How many have said something like that this week? Raise your hand. Thank you. How many of us have said something like that this month? Raise your hand. All right. How many this year have said something like that? Well, we ought to be doing it every day. We wouldn't have enough seats to hold the people if we did. Time is up. If enough of us at San Ramon Valley Bible Church went through these four things, time, talent, treasure, and testimony, that's commitment, committing ourselves to our local assembly. I'll tell you what will happen. It will be one less reason for God ever to deliver severe discipline on the person that pulls these other shenanigans. Bob, you haven't preached the gospel this morning. I know I haven't, but this is what I think the Lord would have me to say. I'd like to think that this is a little bit of a revival message to you. Because it's been a revival message to me. That's why. Focus on what you're supposed to do and stick to it and do it zealously and don't quit. And focus number one is the support of your local assembly. You might want to argue that later. Come over and see me. I've got plenty of time. I'll give you five minutes. Time is up. Let's bow our heads and dismiss in prayer. Thank you again for letting me share the Word with you. And I do not know the needs of a single individual in this room. I don't even know who the Harley-Davidson people are. I think I saw some looks while ago that kind of narrows it down, but I don't know the needs of any. And besides, I love you, and I'm not saying anything against that unless it moves you out of where you ought to be. And I say that because it's biblical. I have to say what the Bible says, and I love you. And maybe this will be a time that you need to let God deal with you, and you need to deal with whatever it is. Heavenly Father, we do not know our own hearts. No man knoweth his own heart, the Bible says. But you know our hearts, and you know our needs, and you know the things that we like and dislike, and you know how, how easy it is for us, especially when things are going good. We always turn to you when things are bad, but when things are going good, we do our own thing. And you have to bring us back in line. God, revive us today about getting busy in the thing that you want us to do. And item number one, probably over everything else that we can think of, is to commit yourself fully, without hesitation, in time, talent, treasure, and testimony and attendance to the church to which we are attending. And we leave it to the Spirit of God from this moment on to make the application. Dismiss it with your blessings, we pray, in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.